All right, well, you can have a seat. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? You doing good? Come on. Yeah. Somebody's doing good. I had a little golf clap. Can we clap a little bit? Just get warmed up. Come on. I'm a little concerned about you. I'm a little concerned about you. I know it's been raining, and I know sometimes we come in with that rainy face on, but uh, we're going we're gonna to give God our best, aren't we? Come on. We're going to give him our best um, because he's worthy of our worship. He's also worthy of us learning and growing and becoming all that he wants us to be. And so excited to be able to jump in here to a series we've been doing called Signposts. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But I did want to kind of circle back around to something uh, that Ashley mentioned, and that was this whole idea of baptism. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been baptized. Uh, perhaps there was a point in your life that you did. Maybe you haven't. Uh, over the last year, maybe at some point you made a decision for Christ. Like you said, you know what? I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be uh, focused on these things anymore. I'm going to follow Christ with my life. I'm giving him 100%. You know, I don't know if that's your story or if that's happened to you recently. But one of the things I want to say is part of your journey Part of what the Bible would say is part of what you need to do next is to take a step of faith and be baptized. And so if you haven't been baptized, we would love to come alongside you in that and help you take that step. And so on August 7th, we're going to be doing that. So if you're interested or, or whatever, just go ahead and write that on your Connect card in the notes area and drop that in the kiosk as you leave. And we will contact you and make sure that we get you plugged in and connected and everything and all the details that you need to know uh, because we want to celebrate with you. Okay? All right. I'm just, uh, I'm really excited. If you've never been to a baptism service, I'm just telling you, you want to come to those. They're, they're amazing. They, they really are. And so I'm excited to be able to be a part of that as well. So, all right. Well, we are continuing a series called Signposts. And if you're wondering what that is, uh, it's a series that we're digging into a particular letter in the Bible called First Peter. First Peter. And uh, if you're wondering where that is, it's, it's towards the very back of the book, all right? It's so, so it's towards the very back of the New Testament, and uh, you will find it if you get close to Revelation, okay? If you get close there, just go left a little bit, and you'll find First Peter. But, but we've been wandering through First Peter, going chapter by chapter, trying to just glean as much as we possibly can. And one of the things I do as a preacher is sometimes I preach topically, you know, I preach on certain topics, but sometimes I like to just simply dig into the scriptures and dig in. What I've noticed when I do that is that there's things that come out of the scriptures that I never intended to talk about. Like, it's interesting. Like, you read it, and then all of a sudden you start to talk about it, and there's topics that the Scripture reveals that I actually had no idea we were going to even talk about. So it's kind of fun, you know, because I almost never know what's going to happen uh, when I get up here. Now, I've studied, and I've studied up, but sometimes I don't even know what's going to happen because the Word of God is active, it's alive, and in this room right now, the Word of God is willing to meet needs and meet people where they are, I've, I'm so amazed sometimes at what the Holy Spirit can do that I will start to speak and I will say something from the stage or from the platform and the person on the receiving end of it will hear something that I never said. And yet, it's exactly what they need to hear. 
And then after service, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, pastor, when you said this, you know, this was just so impactful. It helped me. It was so good. And I'm and I'm I'm sitting there listening. I'm going, that's that's amazing. God bless you. That's so good. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I never said that. (laughs) I mean, go check the tape. Never even said it. But see, that's what the spirit of God can do. When the word of God is open, it's it's active, it's alive, it's moving, it's dynamic. And so I just hope you open yourself up to the possibility today just to simply receive whatever it is that God has for you. Even if it's not on the page, even if it's not on the page, even if it's not something I said, I believe God wants to meet each of us today. And so as we continue this series, I want to give you just kind of the background. If you've missed any of those installments, you can find them online, you can find them on our app. But I just kind of want to give you an overview of what this whole series is about. And I'll just read this to you. This is our series verse. It comes out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Listen to these words that Peter writes to this particular group of churches. He says this, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. Then he says this, my purpose. So he tells you his purpose. I love it when the Bible just tells you flat out my purpose. He says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing, listen to this, what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. And then the Bible says, stand firm in this grace. Stand firm in this grace. Now, what is Peter talking about? Peter's basically writing to a church that is starting to experience not just interpersonal persecution because of their faith, but also governmental persecution. And so what's happening is they're experiencing all kinds of challenges, all kinds of difficulties, simply because they claim the name of Jesus. And he says to them, and this is what's fascinating, he says to them very clearly, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to encourage you. I'm writing to assure you, not, hey, it's going to be okay necessarily, or it's all going to go away, right? Because, I mean, how many of us, when, when bad things happen or suffering occurs or persecution occurs, we're like, God, can you just take it away? He doesn't say that. He says, look, you need to know that this is happening because of God's will. Now, that's interesting. Now, he's not saying that if you do something bad, God is smiting you, or if you have some disease that God is trying to harm you or hurt you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that because you claim the name of Christ, there will be certain levels of persecution and trouble that occur in your life. And he said, that's normal. <laughs> Who's that? No one's signing up for that. You know what I mean? There's a part of us that's like, you, you've even heard a message of the gospel that tells you this, that if you'll just accept Jesus, everything's going to be okay. That everything's going to be up and to the right. You'll never have any problems. You'll always be blessed. And that's great. And there is truth to that. But the Bible also talks about something that's very important and something that shapes us as believers in Jesus Christ and makes us more like Jesus. Because how many of us grow when we're sitting in the lazy boy? We grow like this. (laughs) But we don't grow necessarily spiritually. And so there's something about the struggle. There's something about the challenge. There's something about being told no that somehow starts to train us and make us better. And what Peter says is, I'm here to encourage you and assure you that what you're going through right now, what you're going through right now back then when he was writing it, and what you're going through right now today in 2022, come on, is a part of God's plan 
It's a part of his will for our lives. And then he says this, make sure you understand that God's grace is sufficient. Make sure you understand that God's grace is sufficient. And matter of fact, this grace that we talk about in the Bible is a grace you can stand on. It's a grace you can build a life on. It's a grace that creates a foundation that is unshakable by the world. Do you understand? And so my friends, Peter is trying to help us to see that God's grace is more than enough. And it's through this experience of his grace that we are called to live a certain kind of life. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. One, I just want to say, I'm glad you're here. I really am. I hope that something about this message calls you into a relationship with the one that loves you more than anything. That would be amazing. But for all of you believers in the room, Peter has some things to say to you. He says, if you've experienced this grace of God, this grace that you didn't deserve, this, this absolutely sufficient grace, he says to you, stand firm on it. When you are experiencing hardships, difficulties in life, then you stand firm on the grace of God. And why does he say that? Because the grace of God is something that we can build our life on. And the grace of God is something that is promised in our life to help us be able to not only navigate this life, but also prepare ourselves for the next life with Jesus. That's it in a nutshell. And so right here at the very beginning, I just want to lay that out for you so that you understand. But here's the responsibility. Here's the interesting thing about God is he absolutely gives you a free gift. He says, here's the free gift. Here, take it. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want it? And, and you say, yes. If you don't say yes, then that's your choice. But if you say yes and you receive it, now what happens is as you receive it, God says, okay, now that you've received it, you can be shaped by it. You can be formed by it. But now you have a responsibility. Isn't that interesting? That somehow it's not just, hey, I received his grace and I'll just go and do whatever I want. No, no, it's not that at all. It's that I've received his grace. That grace now transforms me, forms me so that I can be what God has called me to be in the world. Because I don't know if you know this, not only does he want to save you, he wants to transform you. And he also wants to give you a purpose so that you can live that out in the world so that other people can know Jesus too. I mean, that's exactly what God is all about. And so this whole series is about this simple idea. That if you've experienced the grace of God, you are called to be a signpost that is pointing people to Jesus. Now, if your life, and this is the question, as you live, your behavior, simply just ask this question. Am I living in such a way that I'm pointing people towards God or am I pointing people away from God? And I think that's what the Bible's trying to help us to see is which are we doing? Which one are we doing? And so today, just so you understand what the series is about, is that we are called by God, if we've experienced that grace, to be pointing people to God and not away from him. Now, I think that's a useful question. I don't know about you, but I mean, even on a Sabbath day, when I just want to do some reflection and ask God what's going on in my life, to simply ask this question, God, this week, come on, just very simple. God, this week, did I point people to God with my behavior? Isn't that a good question? Some of you are like, no, I don't like it. I don't like that question. Did I point people to God with the way that I behaved? Or did I do things that actually, actually pointed people away from God? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you need to reconcile that reality and say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to do better. Here you go. Here's my life. I surrender that back to you so that I can do what you've called me to. All right, so that's the series in a nutshell, and we're going to get to today's topic. 
And it's simply this. And I'll, I'll give you the big idea so that you can kind of start to process it. But here's the big idea. The way we suffer... Yeah, I said that right. The way that we suffer either points people to God or away from God. Now, you're excited about this message now, aren't you? Pastor's going to talk about suffering. It's going to be awesome, you know. But I get it. I get it. But the reality is, is that Peter says that suffering exists. Suffering exists in a variety of ways, doesn't it? We see it all over the world. There's some suffering that occurs because human beings aren't doing what God told them to do. Like, there are people starving to death because we're not doing what God has called us to do. You know, isn't that interesting how we blame God for that? <laughs> I always think that's curious. That, that, that somehow we have enough food in this world to feed everybody, and yet people still starve to death. And God looks at us and says, why are you blaming me for that? But don't we do that? I mean, I don't know. Am I the only one? You've heard that? I mean, God, where are you? And God's like, where are you? Where are you? I think that's a good, good thing to process a little bit, right? And so, so, so here's the thing that we have to see is that suffering is a part of God's plan. It's not something that you should wake up in the morning and be like, hey, God, today I'm excited to suffer. I just want to suffer today. God, matter of fact, whatever suffering you got on the, on the, on the docket today, you just kick it up a notch because I'm excited about it. I just want to go full on suffering today because that's what I want to do for you. No, you don't have to go looking for suffering. <laughs> suffering will find you, I promise. But here's the point. When suffering shows up, because of you loving God, which is what Peter's talking about, not just suffering because of something I did that I shouldn't have done and the suffering that comes into my life because of it, he says, because you're serving God, because you claim the name of Jesus and you experience suffering or persecution or people reject you or don't want to be your friend anymore or don't invite you to the party anymore or whatever it is, right? He says, when you suffer because of my name, you need to understand that God has a plan and a purpose in that to build you and shape you and make you stronger. And this is important. Because as far as I know, out of all the people in this room, there's probably a good percentage of you that believe in God. I mean, you believe in God. And so that means that if you believe in God, you're going to experience some level of this. And so I want to kind of dig into that concept today of, of what is it, what do we do with suffering? How do we approach it? And, and I actually came up with a title for this that I don't think works anymore. You ever done that? Like, I put it on the page. I'm like, that's going to be the title. And I was like, no, I don't think that's the title, but I'll give you the title that I had originally. And the title is simply this, Sufficient Grace in Difficult Times. Doesn't that sound good? It just sounds good. It's like, oh, Sufficient Grace in Difficult Times. But I think a more accurate title for what I'm about to talk about is, is more like this. It's, it's the benefits of suffering in the lives of the believer. The benefits of suffering. Come on, everybody excited about that. The benefits of suffering. The things that we gain from it. And so, so what's interesting is that we all have everyday, everyday suffering that occurs because we claim the name of Christ. So for example, have you ever stood up for Jesus in a friendship? Have you ever stood up for Jesus in a conversation at work? Have you ever had that moment where someone was saying something and you're like, hey, hold on a second, hold on. And you shared your thoughts, right? And you shared your thoughts and that person looked at you like you were strange. 
not only looked at you like you were strange, at a certain point they started to wonder if you guys could be friends. Maybe they even talked to people at work and they were like, hey, I just don't know about that person. You know, you don't want to do that around them. They're, you know, they're one of them, right? They're one of those, those teetotalers or, you know, those Christians, they don't have fun. Or, or oh, they're just so judgmental. Those, you don't want to be around them, right? Maybe you've experienced that. I don't know if you have or you haven't. But in general, I think there's some of that that goes on in the world. And, and so you experience this kind of day-to-day stuff. But what, what Peter is really trying to get at in, the chapter, in chapter 4 of this particular letter, he's trying to get at not just the suffering we, we experience interpersonally, but the suffering that we actually experience from authorities, from authorities that are over us from governmental authorities, from people who are in charge. Get this. Now, this is important because I actually think at this point you might be wondering, what does this have to do with me? Why is this even relevant to my life? Well, you hold on because I promise you by the time I get to the end of this, you will have a very clear idea of how this relates to you in 2022. And this is important. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But here's the thing. He says that there's this fiery challenge that we're all experiencing. In other words, there's this official persecution that is coming. There's this this stuff that's showing up in the lives of the believers there that he's writing to that's coming. And you know what's interesting about 1 Peter and then 2 Peter is that somewhere in the middle, Peter was put in prison because of his faith. So he's actually writing from this perspective of persecution. And so he's writing this letter and he's trying to help you to see that there's this wonderful blessing that's about to happen. And the wonderful blessing that's about to happen is this gift of suffering. This gift of suffering, this benefit that we all get to experience that's going to help us become more like Jesus. And everybody reads the letter and everybody says, Amen. Thank you, God. This is exciting. I can't wait to suffer. What a wonderful day it'll be. I mean, there's a little hyperbole in there. But you get my point. See, God's grace is sufficient when we suffer. Matter of fact, the Bible so often says something that I think is so countercultural. It's so curious to me that it's somehow in the middle of my weakness, God is made strong in me. That literally, when I go lower, when I experience the depth of suffering sometimes, it's in that place that I truly discover who I am and I truly discover who God is. Because isn't it true that sometimes we walk through life not thinking that we need God? Now, we would never say that out loud, right? We would never say, God, I don't need you. But we live in such a way that we don't even fellowship with him through the day. And we only cry out to him when we're what? Suffering. It's interesting how suffering gets our attention. It's interesting how when you're suffering, your head is on a swivel. It's interesting, when you're suffering, you're all of a sudden tuned in and listening, and not only tuned in and listening, but you're reaching for God. And God is in the midst of all of that, shaping us and making us into the people that he wants us to be. And so, let's talk for just a moment about three things that suffering does for us. Three things that suffering does to help us. The first benefit of suffering is simply this. Suffering purifies the saint. 
Suffering purifies the saint. Now, what is a saint? A saint is you if you believe in God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the Bible calls you a saint. Isn't that interesting? Now, it, it, it did call you a sinner at one point. But when you meet Jesus, you actually go from sinner to saint. I love that. I love that I get to be a saint because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And some of us need to stop calling ourselves sinners in the mirror. Like, we need to spend less time saying, hey, you're a dirty rat, and more time saying, I'm a son or daughter of God. Because I guarantee you, you'll do better off if you do. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to sin. We all have the capacity to sin, but that doesn't mean we have to, because we're empowered by Jesus not to. And so, so important that we get that. And so, so, so here's what he says. Suffering purifies the saints. What does that mean? Uh, if you think of, like, this phrase, uh, that person is worth their metal. You ever heard that phrase? Like, they're worth their metal? Well, in other words, like, there's metal that if it's not purified, right, it's not as good. So, like, take, for example, gold, right? They heat gold up, and then as they heat it up, the dross of the gold gets kind of cooked off, and they get rid of it, and it purifies the gold. It makes the gold more pure. But it took heating it up. And so in the heating of that gold up, that metal, the dross exposes itself, and then you can get rid of that dross. And see, that's what God is trying to do sometimes in our life when it comes to suffering. He's trying to purify us. Because if I asked you this question, listen to me. If I asked you this question, are you pure? Right? Now, I say that, and I suspect some of you would be like, well, I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm not 100%, right? Anybody in here say they're 100% pure? No? Nobody? Come on, raise your hand. You know. Well, some of you act like it. Well, that's why we get self-righteous. That's why we judge other people. That's why we throw bombs on Facebook. See what happens when we lose sight of the fact that we need Jesus? That we're sinners saved by grace. And so my point is, is that the, there's, the, most people in the room would not say that they're 100% pure. So that means that there's more work to be done. And so when, when, when I say to you, and what Peter says to you, is that suffering somehow purifies your life. It makes you better. It cooks away the dross. It helps you become more like Jesus. The impurities begin to exit your life, and you actually become more like Jesus. I love that. And so, so he goes on as he walks through, as we walk through this particular chapter, there's a few things I want you to notice about purifying the saints, about how suffering does that. And so when we, as followers of Jesus, I'm sorry, when we follow Jesus, we should always expect, always expect that suffering will happen. We should never be surprised by it. We shouldn't, we, now, when it comes, do we say, yeah, that's great, I love it? No. But we should never be surprised that it shows up because it will show up. And what the Bible is saying is that when it shows up, you need to understand a few things. And so here's a few things that I want us to see. 1 Peter 4.1. Watch this. As we start this chapter, 1 Peter 4.1. It'll be on the screens. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had. Okay? And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, listen to this, you have finished with sin. 
Isn't that interesting? Like, it doesn't say, if you've suffered physically with Christ, you get a present. You get a gold star. You get a bonus at the end of the year. No, no, it, it says if you've suffered physically with Christ, you have finished with sin. What in the world does that mean? Why would he make these connections? What does it have to do with anything? Well, here's the thing, going back to baptism. When at some point you said yes to Christ, and maybe you received a baptism, you went and you were baptized, what the symbolism of that is, is that somehow as you go under the water, you are dying to yourself, and you are coming out of the water as a new creation. Does that make sense? And the water is purifying you and helping you become the person that God wants you to be. Now, you don't get in the tub unless you actually believe that there is a God. You don't get in the tub and allow someone to dunk you underwater if you don't want Jesus as your Lord. I mean, it makes no sense. Unless you're doing it for peer pressure or somebody else or your mama or your daddy, it, here's the thing you have to understand, that if you said yes to Christ and you put yourself under the water and you come up out of the water, that means that you are putting yourself under the leadership and lordship of Jesus. That's what it means. So, so if that's true, then that means that you look at sin and you say, sin, I don't like you. I don't want you in my house. I don't want you in my life. I don't have any interest in being a part of your crew anymore. And matter of fact, sin, I don't have to anymore because Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And because of the spirit of God living in me, I can say no to that sin. Now, this is interesting because see what, what the Bible is saying is that somehow when I suffer physically, I begin to come to grips and I begin to fully understand the commitment that I've made. That my faith is being, being purified, that my faith is being purified by the suffering that I'm experiencing. And that suffering is teaching me once again that it's worth my life. It's worth me rejecting the things of the world. It's worth me saying no to those things that I desire. It's worth my life. Do you understand? And so what he's saying is that when we suffer, we actually come face to face again with what Christ did for us. The sacrifice that he made for us. And because of that sacrifice, I sign up. I, I, I show up. And whenever the suffering comes to my life, I say, I'm in, Lord. I'm going to be there because I'm not going back because I love you that much, because I worship you, because I want to give you my life, and if that suffering comes, then let it come, because I'm not going back, and I'm not rejecting you ever again, and when that sin shows up at my door, I have a choice, and I can say no. It's that old adage that says, you know, sin remains, but it no longer reigns. Sin remains in our lives until Jesus comes back but it doesn't have to reign in my life because of what Jesus has done for me. And what, what happens is when we start to get purified and we start to get the mind of Christ and we start to identify with the right person, all of these things come to pass. Did you notice the word I just say, said? Identify. That's a, that's a word we use a lot today, isn't it? Is that okay? 
I know. Some of you are like, oh, God, what is he going to say? Use your imagination. But see, what the Bible is saying is that I need to have the mind of Christ, that I need to identify with Jesus. I need to stop identifying with the things of this world. I need to stop identifying with my sexuality. I need to stop identifying with my gender. I need to stop identifying with the things that are a part of this world. And I'm not saying that there aren't complications in all of that. I get it. But the moment we stop identifying with Jesus first, what happens is we're led astray. Because we have to start with the one that knows. We have to start with the one that can give us what we need, that gives us the power to overcome. Because what I've found is that you know what identification tends to be? It's what I want. It's what I desire. It's what I've been taught. It's what I've been trained. It's how I feel. And friends, those are bad gods. Those are really bad gods. Because you know who's God? You. Like you're on the throne. And so when he says to us that we need to identify with Christ, that's what we need to do. We need to say, Jesus, I identify with you, even with my brokenness, even with where I came from, even the things I was taught, even the things I want, even the desires I have. I don't care about those things. What I care about is identifying with you, my Savior, who was willing to do everything for me, who paid the price for me, who did everything and gave me the grace I needed to become the person that you want me to be. And that's the person I need to be identifying with. <laughs> I know it's not popular, guys. I know. But at some point, you're starting to figure out why we're going to be persecuted. Now you're starting to get it. We'll keep talking about it. Because, see, there are things that need to be said that aren't being said. Because we're afraid. We're afraid to be canceled. We're afraid to be accused. We're afraid to be treated differently. Guys, and when I look at my Jesus as he suffers on a cross for my life, how could I not stand up? How could I not say something, even if it's unpopular? You get what I'm saying? Christians, this is what God's about. He never at any point said, just get along. Just get along with the world. Just do what you're going to do. No, no, no. He said, be different. Matter of fact, he even calls us aliens. He says, be aliens. Be weird. Be different than the world around you. Man, that's good. Pastor, thank you. <laughs> and so when we follow Jesus, we should expect suffering. A few other thoughts on this idea of suffering and how it purifies us. When we follow Jesus, we surrender. We surrender past behaviors. You know what I'm talking about? Those past behaviors. He says this in 1 Peter 4, 2. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires. Whose desires? Your desires. He says, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You'll be anxious to do the will of God. I'm not, I'm not sure I like that word, anxious, but that's how they translated it. In other words, you'll be motivated. You'll be motivated to do the will of God. And then he says this in verse 3. Look at this. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. 
their immorality, their lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. You know what this is saying? Have you ever heard this phrase? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever heard that? Like you sometimes hear that in AA groups, right? Like I just, I can't, I'm, I'm sick and tired. My, they use this phrase, my life has become powerless. Like I, I'm powerless over this thing, right? And so what happens sometimes is you get sick and tired of it. And I don't know where you are today, but this is what I found is that a lot of times Christians will live in both worlds and they try to live in both worlds and they try to live a little over here and a little over here. And if you do this, you're kind of a cool Christian, right? <laughs> yeah, isn't that true? Like you're relevant, right? Everybody wants to be relevant. And so you live in both worlds. But the problem is, is what happens is you start to realize that these two worlds don't seem to compute. They actually don't jive with each other. That there's some, and matter of fact, he says, not only do you recognize it, but you actually start to get to a place where you're sick of it. You're sick of looking this way. How about this? You're sick of waking up a certain way, knowing that that's not the way to wake up. You're sick of whatever that is, insert whatever that is, and the effect of that. You're sick of that, and you say, you know what? I, I'm done with that, and I'm moving forward with Jesus. I'm no longer going back. I've had enough. You ever had that feeling? You ever had enough? Come on. Anybody in here ever had enough? You ever had somebody just badgering you, and you finally just said, I've had enough? And I'm sure you did it like this. You were like, hey, I just want you to know I've had enough. Um... And so we're just going to not do this right now, okay? No, no. I'm pretty sure you elevated your voice probably at some point. And you were like, I've had enough! Stop badgering me! I've heard you. I don't want to talk about it. I've had enough. And see, that's what the Bible's saying, is I've had enough. I no longer am going to tiptoe around the sin. I'm no longer going to tiptoe around these things and live in two different worlds. I'm actually going to say, no more. I've had enough. I've had enough. And so I'm going to do something different. And the reason I'm going to do it is because of what Jesus has done for me. Woo! Another thought. When we follow Jesus, we act different. We will act different and we will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 4 through 5. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into <laughs> the flood of wild and destructive things. You know what I'm about. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Have you ever been rejected because of your faith? Have you ever had a friend not want to be your friend anymore because of your faith? I don't know. I don't know if you ever have. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. I, I'll say this to, to younger believers. One of the most difficult things for a young believer is to sever old ties. It's just hard. Because these were your pals. These were your friends. These were your homies. Is that, is that, a, is that a phrase? <laughs> it's hard sometimes to say no. 
But I can tell you this, I mean, I've seen it happen, and it was in my, it's true in my life, is that there's a point in a season in your life where you finally just have to say, you know what, I'm not hanging out anymore. I'm not coming over. I'm not going to Helen Fitzgerald's, right? I'm not going partying with you. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. Because every time I do, I do something I don't want to do. And if you're my friend, you'll respect that. And, 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 and that's hard. Because sometimes those people don't want to hang out with you anymore. And then you have to ask yourself this question, then what kind of friendship did we have? We were just like party mates. You know? As long as I was partying, everybody liked me. But now that I'm not partying, apparently they don't like me anymore. Do you want those kind of friends? Uh-uh. I say this to my kids all the time. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You surround yourself with godly people and you'll become more godly. You surround yourself with dirtbags and you'll become a dirtbag. Can I say it any more plainly? You see what I'm getting at? And so we have to recognize that these kinds of things are going to happen. Okay. I have a lot more to say. Um, I camped out on that a lot. But let me say a couple of words here about suffering as it relates to uniting the church. The first is, is that it, it purifies us as believers, but it also, it also helps to unite the church. Because see, what he goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9, listen to what he says. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Did you know it? That's what the Bible teaches. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Have you heard that? Love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says this, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. He says that if you have this gift, use it. If you have this gift, use it. And he says to us very clearly, use them well to serve one another. So what he's saying is, is that this suffering, this choosing to reject the things of the world is going to unite the people of God and make us more powerful. Isn't that cool to think about? That if we start as a church standing up to some of these things, it actually makes the church stronger, even though people will say we'll become irrelevant. It's not the first time that people have said the church is irrelevant. It's just not. It's been going on for a long time. And yet we're still here, still doing our thing, still growing like crazy in places where the church is persecuted. Now, we're not growing like crazy in America because we're comfortable. But you go to places where you're persecuted for your faith, the church is growing like hotcakes. Is that a phrase? Growing like hotcakes? I just made that one up. And so the Bible says that we have to begin to join together. We have to be on each other's team. And here's the thing that I'm concerned about, is I feel like oftentimes as believers in Jesus Christ, we're actually tearing each other down. And it makes, us, it, makes it harder to accomplish the mission. So like when the Bible says this, listen, most of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Deep love for each other. One translation says fervent love, fervent love. You know what that means? It means stretching out. Think about that. It's a stretching out kind of love. It's the kind of love that you stretch to give to somebody. 
It's not an easy love. It's an, a, a love that takes something from you. It's a, it's a love that's sacrificial, which is uh, the exact same love that Jesus gave us. You see what I'm getting at? And so he's saying when we love each other this way, when we, we love each other by stretching out with this kind of fervent love, it changes the climate of the church. It changes what we do in the world. And then he says this, this is crazy, for, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that. What a, what a glorious phrase that love somehow covers a multitude of sins. And you know what's fascinating about this? Is that this is related to the church. This is related to other believers in Jesus Christ. This is, this is me stretching out in love and recognizing that it's my job to have the back of a Christian and not judge that Christian. It's my job to love them in such a way that when the stuff goes down, I actually cover them. I See what it says. It says the love covers a multitude of sins. Who's got your back? Some of the greatest wounds I've ever seen in the church have been from Christians on Christians. And then we wonder why people don't want to come in the house. Because we treat each other like dirt. Do you see what I'm getting at? I know that this isn't a fun message. I get it. But how do we get better if we never know? It's my job to cover you. It's my job to help you. It's my job, job to stretch to love you. It's my job to make sure that when you're struggling, I don't just point it out and tell other people in the church. That I cover you because you're my sister. I cover you because you're my brother. I reach out, I reach in because you matter to God and you matter to this church and you matter to the kingdom of God because if we would stop picking each other off, we would actually be able to pick the devil off. I'll end with this. As you look at this particular passage of scripture there's another area of suffering that we see suffering that glorifies the lord suffering that glorifies the lord listen to this he says dear friends don't be surprised by the fiery trials don't be surprised don't be surprised that you go through difficulties matter of fact he says in verse three, verse 13 he says instead be very glad i don't know i don't know how to do that sometimes for these trials are hard and he says but they make you partners with christ that you actually are partnering with Christ in your suffering. And that through it, listen to this, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when he's revealed to all the world. He goes on to say this in verse 14. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, for doing things you shouldn't, and he goes through a list, murder, steal, making trouble, meddling, prying into other people's affairs. He says, what, what, what good is that? Like, like, he's like, what? If you suffer for doing bad, what's the point? But if you suffer for doing good, there's great value in that, is what he says. There's great value in that because it actually helps you to become more like Jesus. And that you can then live in such a way that you call people to God. So here's a question for you. Are you suffering right now because of bad decisions you made? 
Are you suffering right now because of good decisions you made? Those are two very different things. And so consider that. Listen to this as we close. 1 Peter 4.19 So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you. Listen to this. Listen, listen. For he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Guys, that's good news. That should cause you to shout. That should cause you to be like, yeah! You know why? Because anything you experience in life, any place you go, any suffering, any disease, any difficulty, the Bible says that he will not fail you. Oh, it's so good. It's so good to know that God will never fail me, that in the midst of my challenges and my trials and all of it, that God will never fail me. See, 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 listen to this. One commentator said it this way. Christians will go through fiery trials before Jesus returns. The world situation, listen to me, the world situation will not get better. Attitudes towards Christians will not improve. The world has always hated the name of Christ and will continue to hate it. If we identify, listen, if we identify ourselves with the name of Christ, the world will hate us is what the Bible says. If we compromise, we might escape persecution. But we'll also miss the blessing and the glory of sharing in Christ's sufferings. See, neither Christ nor his people received the crown of glory without the crown of thorns. And that's something as believers we have to understand. And that's what Peter is trying to help us to get. Is that ultimately, what we think might get better is not. And here's what I want to say to you as I close. We so desperately want the world to be different. We look around and we think, you know what? It's going to get better. The problem is, is that's not what the scripture says. Now, believers are going to help. And we're going to alleviate suffering. And we're going to do the things that we're called to do. And do-gooders and God-fearers are going to do that as well. But at the end of the day, guys, this is what you have to understand. And the reason I want you to get this in 2022, and this is where the message doesn't give you feel-goods, it's going to get worse. Mark my words. The persecution levels of Christians in America will get worse. And it will be the people that finally said, you know what? I'm not here to be comfortable. I'm here to honor God. And if I suffer, then I suffer. If I'm persecuted because of my faith, then let it be. But the Christians over the last few decades have gotten a little soft because we've had so much favor with the government. That season is ending. Hear my prophetic words. It is ending. And the believers that finally realize that suffering is a part of the thing, we will finally start to stand up in the midst of persecution, even if they cancel us. Because we know what's right. Let's pray together. God, I know that as I preach this message, there are some people that don't like what I had to say. There are some people that are probably cheering me on right now. 
But God, I, all I care about is that your will would be done. All I care about is that people would hear your word. And so I want to pray specifically for a variety of people in the room today. I want to pray for the person that says, you know what, I'm all in, God. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. God, I'm in. I want to pray for you. God, I pray specifically for the person that's all in. I ask in Jesus' name that you would strengthen their spirit for the work that you've called them to do. Father, I believe in faith that you'll give them everything that they need to stand, to stand on the grace of God as they're a light to this world, in their work, in their family, in their government, wherever it is, God, that you call them, I pray that you give them the strength to accomplish it. I also want to pray for the person that's not sure yet. <laughs> you love God. You, 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 you're so grateful for what he's done on your behalf. But you're still a little uncertain about what I'm saying. And I just want to pray for you. God, I pray for anybody in this room that would say that's them. I pray in Jesus' name that you would draw them close to you that they would know what wisdom is. They would know your word. They would know how to make the right decisions, whatever it is that you have for them. God, more than anything, I pray that you would give them conviction around the things that they know and understand. And Lord, wherever there is a 90%, an 80% in the room of commitment, I pray, God, that you would help that person get to 100. I ask in Jesus' name that you would help them. And then, Father, I want to pray for everybody in the room <laughs> that as I spoke, even some of the things I said became hard to hear. Maybe even a point of where you wanted to reject what I was saying. And that's okay. But God, I asked that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would just simply share whatever you want to share. Anything that I said that's not from you, God, I, I pray that it fall to the ground. Anything that is from you, God, I pray that it would find good soil. Lord, I believe in faith that you're calling a people. I believe in faith that you're, you're calling your people to stand in these challenging times. And I ask God in Jesus' name that you would help us to do that. Now, I do want to pray specifically for anybody in the room that would say that maybe you've kind of been doing it halfway, you know? That maybe you haven't given God your 100%. Regardless of what I said today, let's just get that right. That you would just simply be able to say to the Lord, Lord, I, I just haven't been loving you with my life. And, and I want to get that right. So let's take a moment and just dedicate ourselves again to the Lordship of Jesus. He's Lord, you're not. He's your Savior, He loves you. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room that wants to give their life back to God, that wants to rededicate their life to Jesus, that wants to honor Him with the way that they live. Jesus, I pray that you would empower that decision. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give them everything that they need to do what you've called them to do. And then finally, as we end, I just want to pray specifically for anybody in the room that would say that they don't know 
or don't have a relationship with Jesus, that he's not your savior, or he's not your Lord, but maybe, just maybe as I talk, there was something that interested you. And the Bible says that if you will simply put your faith and trust in that God, in his son Jesus, that he'll come and he'll save you. He'll save you. He'll give you an eternity with him. He'll transform you from the inside out. He'll give you the power to overcome sin. He'll give you the power to stand when everybody else is sitting. And so I want to pray for you if this is you. And so right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to do something for me as an act of faith. I just firmly believe if we can't take steps of faith in here, we won't do it out there. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're here today and you would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I, I want that. I want to be able to pray for you. And so right now, I'm going to ask you to do something. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to simply raise your hand up so that I can see your hand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have you come down front or anything. I just want to pray for you. And we're just going to pray together as a church. And so I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. And so right now on the count of three, just go ahead. Be bold. One, two, three. Go ahead. Bless you. God bless you. Good. Anybody else today? It's your day. All right. You can put your hands down. Church, let's all pray together. No one's praying alone in here. And so let's, let's just pray this prayer. If you lifted your hand or wanted to lift your hand, then you say this prayer. Repeat this after me. Come on, church, let's do this together. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you save me today? Would you forgive me of my sins? I surrender to you. Will you be my Lord? I'll be obedient to whatever you say. Change me from the inside out, Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate anybody that was giving their life over to the Lord?